SAFM leading the conversation. Thanks very much for staying with us. So what we know is that many, many children across this country are unable to get access to education, which is a a right that we all have. Access to education is in our Bill of Rights, both to adults and to children. So this is basic education I'm talking about. And we also know that basic education can also be something that can be acquired by adults. Now, it is one thing to not have basic education. It's another for a child or an adult with learning disabilities to access education. It is something that is of the urgency that we've seen coming through. And we know this is urgent because government itself has said it's very, very urgent. In fact, we have uh, mayors around the country begging for more money to build schools for children with disability. And now we want to unpack this and how big a problem this is. Robin Barrier, who is a deputy director at Equal Education Law Centre, is on the line with us just to unpack how difficult the situation is, what a crisis we are looking at, or maybe we're not looking at a crisis. Thank you very much for joining us, Robin. Hi. It's a pleasure. Hi, Pamela. Thank you for having me on your show. We, You know, I'm, I'm not quoting stats, uh, Robin, because I know that stats are not necessarily always reliable. It depends where they're coming from and so on. From where you're sitting, what stats do you have? How big a problem is this? So you're right. Um, in fact, one of the biggest problems we have is that we don't have accurate stats um, that, that give us a good, clear picture of the, of the issue. But the Department of Basic Education um, two years ago put out stats saying that there were approximately 600,000 children with disabilities who were not attending school. <laughs> so it, it clearly is a, a significant issue. 600,000, I don't know, I think it was in the Eastern Cape, they said 3,000 are not in school because they, yeah. they just couldn't get access to, to this type of education. So we know that, you know, schools are, <laughs> we don't have enough schools to begin with, for mm. instance, in rural areas and so on. And this is another layer of, of mm. the need. Explain to me why is it there is an obsession about building new schools for special needs rather than adjusting the current structures and just adjusting them with new equipment, maybe new facilities to add these children with needs? Yes, I mean, you, you, you raise a critical issue and it's, it's something that um, we're trying to see as a transformation in our system. South Africa has an inclusive education system. And basically what that means is our government has committed that every child is able to access their neighborhood local school and get the support they need to reach their full potential without discrimination on the basis of race or gender or sexual identity or disability. So you're right. What that should mean is that any child should be able to go to their local school, even if they have a disability. The school should be able to put support in place, get support from the district in order to to give the child the support they need at that school. Unfortunately, well, we, we also have inherited a, a parallel system of education, which means we have inherited a system of special schools mm. and ordinary schools. And the special schools in the past were where children with disabilities had to go in order to attend school. Um, This shift now is towards this more inclusive approach where children shouldn't have to be segregated, Mm. leave often their home, their community, particularly in the rural areas, travel thousands of kilometers to be able and, and spend virtually the whole school year in a hostel, in a school from as early as five or six years of age. 
So the idea of segregating children and having to put them in a special school goes against this idea of inclusion where a child should be able to stay at home and attend their local school. But there is still this, this tension and this misunderstanding about what is what is the obligation, what are the rights of children in terms of being able to go to a local school. Robin, explain to me what happens. So if I'm a parent with a child, say, for instance, with autism, right, mm. and I go mm. onto the system, I know that systems are different one province to another, but if I mm. went to, let's say, the Gauteng province, I go to their now online application system, and I punch in, I live in, I don't know, uh, Mirrorlands, for instance, mm. in Soweto, and they ask you three options of schools and in all those three options these are schools that are not schools with special needs children they are just schools even though i know that my child has autism what does that mean if upon arriving then then they discover that your child has autism do are they obligated to take the child what's the process there so, so yes, um, theoretically, according to the South African Schools Act, a parent should be able to apply to three local schools, the learner should be admitted, and there is a policy called the Screening, Identification, Assessment and Support Policy in place, which outlines the process for then identifying what are the support needs of this learner, can those support needs be provided at the school, Okay. if the school doesn't have the current um, support available, can the district provide it at the school? And as a measure of last resort, Mm. the child might be referred to a special school. So the idea is that if a child's learning needs are so high that, that, so perhaps, you know, you take the example of autism, it affects children differently. Mm. If a child is quite severely affected with autism, such that they they need daily specialized intervention, Mm. potentially specialist equipment, and that can only reasonably be provided from a special school, then the learner would be best placed in a special school. But that's not meant to be the first first option. The first option would be, let's see, let's do everything we can Mm -hmm. to first support this child in an ordinary school. Children who do have quite severe or multiple or complex disabilities Mm. often are referred directly to a special school. Um, And the role of the special schools is supposed to be to accommodate those learners with very high-level support needs. They're also supposed to then provide an outreach function Mm. to that ordinary school that has accommodated Uh a learner who has high-functioning autism and the teachers have been trained by that special school. Perhaps they've had some resources from the special school. So the special school is also supposed to help support these ordinary schools so that they too can support more children who are now being accommodated at ordinary school. The question, though, is, is it happening? And that and more after the break. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 104.4 FM in Durban. 20 minutes to 2. My name is Pamela Modena. We're discussing access to education for children with special needs, not only children, but also adults for basic education um, that they may not be able to find in case they have got special needs themselves, and that's disabilities and so on. Uh, I am joined on the line by Robin Bear, who is a Deputy Director at Equal Education Law Centre and Chairperson of the Right to Education for Children with Disabilities in South Africa. Thank you very much for staying with us, Robin. We were touching on on what is the ideal scenario earlier on before we went to the break, but does it happen? Do you find that special schools themselves are able to give support 
as you said, you said you spoke about outreach programs. Are they able to do that to to what what would be normal schools? Yeah, and unfortunately, Pamela, I think as we see in, in many cases, it's the actual implementation of this that that does let us down. Um, and you know that isn't to say that there aren't great examples of of both ordinary schools and special schools that are functioning really well mm. and doing a great job. But unfortunately, I would have to say, particularly in the ordinary schools, most of the time parents don't even get in the front door. Schools mm. will simply say, no, we can't accommodate you. They don't try first to see what can we put in place for this learner. They'll just say, no, you have to go to a special school. Mm. And then parents often sort of get get put onto long waiting lists at special schools. They are sort of, they're not really empowered with information to know where do I go, what can I do. Um, so for many parents that um, you know we've dealt with, it is really just years of struggle to just at least get their child into an environment where they can get school, particularly in the rural areas where special schools are few and far between. Even if they do exist, the quality of education at those schools is extremely poor. Um, often there's high incidences of abuse, of neglect. So, you know, you don't even want to send your child to that school and, and you're told that's the only option. So, yeah, there are a lot of challenges on the ground. There's a lot of challenges in terms of implementing the system, mm. not to say that there aren't some that are doing a great mm. job. We welcome your calls now, 089-1104-207, and uh, we go straight to TC in the Eastern Cape. Hi, TC, your experience. Good, good day, good day, uh, uh, ma'am. Look, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm TC. I'm, I'm the chairperson of the residence in uh, East London, mm-hmm. specifically Haven Hill, right? Mm-hmm. About five years ago, the councillor came to introduce an 184 million rand project for a special school, namely mm-hmm. Kayale to special school, mm-hmm. right? to be built in our area. Mm-hmm. Now, there's the consultation process that must be complied with, right? Mm-hmm. So they didn't comply with the consultation process, right? So then uh, they had to start afresh. What happened is then they came back again just to come and tell us public work, come and tell us that they are starting to build a project. Then we, the, the, the residents, asked them, look, if you say you start to build the, 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 the school, which is $184 million, mm. have, this, have the plans been approved? Guess what? Only to find out that the plans was not approved. Public Works told us that it is uh, uh, the, the municipality that, could, that, that was uh, uh, lagging behind in approving the plan. We then said, look, it's now two years down the line after you came the first time to introduce the project. The plans have not yet been approved, right? And the children get prejudiced where they are now, right? And the funds get rolled over every financial year. So what we then did as a community, we said, right, let us lead them the process and go and ask municipality. We took it upon ourselves to go and ask municipality why the plans have not been approved. Mm-hmm. Guess what? On our arrival there, we were shocked that the engineer at municipality told the, uh, the, the public works official, we still have the minutes of that meeting, that you have never submitted plans here, sir. And we were shocked. So they, they wanted to build an 184 million rand school without complying with the bylaws of the municipality. Right. <laughs> what happened then? 
We engaged then the the the, the MEC, uh, Mr. Makupula, the one who passed away. May his soul rest in peace. Right, and then. Uh, there was progress and it collapsed. Now I'm telling you, since the first time they came till now, it's five years. The school has not been built. They have started to invest. Uh, the, the the project have started and they have already invested seven million rand in the project. Now, when we asked too much questions regarding the process that they have followed, they decided now to relocate the school to Dorchester Heights, abandoning a seven million rand infrastructure which they have already spent on on this in this project. We were supposed to have a meeting on Monday, but guess what? Department of Education, despite them writing us a communication that they will meet with us to discuss this issue, they just had to pitch up at East, East London at Stirling High School. You know what I'm saying? So I wrote an email to Equal Education, I mean, a, 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 a Twitter message to Equal Education to raise this to them that we are sitting here with a 7 million rand fruitless and wasteful expenditure and Department of Education is in the process to relocate the school to Dorchester Heights of which we, as, as, as a resident says, that is our tax money. And now that this thing has been five years coming along, the school has not been built, we want to see consequence management on the principal who was very much in, in, in the front line for the school to be relocated after 7 million rand infrastructure. We want to see consequence management on the principal of the school as well as public works official who was instrumental to delay this thing for five years and the school has not yet been built. Wow, it's a complex issue, Robin. I mean, I'm sure you probably have here have heard of many of these type of cases where if it's not the municipality, if it's not, uh, you know, uh, provincial government, it's national government. If it's not that, it's a department of education. The buck being passed from one person to another. We heard yesterday from Minister Nkosazana Zamutlamini Zuma saying, well, municipalities don't even have some engineers and so on. Where would you intervene with a case like this, Robin? I mean, where would where would the buck stop? So, you know, infrastructure backlogs are a, are a massive, massive barrier to, to sort of improving inequality in education generally. Eastern Cape in particular has had some, you know, it's, it's probably one of the examples of some of the worst special schools um, where there's been, you know, a lot of spotlight put on how poor these schools are. So, you know, it, it's... It's unacceptable, and I think I think what what is so difficult in the sector, particularly in the disability sector, is that it is always a marginalised issue. Mm. So here is a community fighting for a for a promised school where the money is available mm. for it to happen. Yet, you know, five years of runaround, five years of of dodging responsibility, but because it's it's a it's a school that's a special school. It it never seems to get the traction um, that some of the other issues get, and I think that's always been a um, a real a, a real sort of indictment on our society that that we continue to marginalise and exclude children with disabilities, who are the most vulnerable in our community and have no less of a right to education as any other child. I'll be speaking to a parent to share their story of how they got their child into school or did they get their child into school. Life, life happens with Pimelo Motine. 
Our focus is access to education for people with disability, both children and adults. Basic education is what we, we're making uh, uh, this conversation all about. I am joined by somebody from Equal Education, Robin Bear, Deputy Director at Equal Education Law Society. And uh, Robin, you know, we, we've been discussing this and it's always interesting when you look at this kind of stuff, um, you know, on paper and it's it's a philosophical idea and a conversation. But I think the, the story of people who have to live with this. It, it changes everything when you get to hear a mother, for instance. I'm joined on the line by Janine Johnson, who is a mother of a child with loss of hearing. Janine, thank you very, very much. What has your experience been? Hi, Ray. Good afternoon. Um, firstly, thank you very much for this opportunity um, to speak with you today. Thank you. Um, I would like just to take just half a minute if I could just give a little bit of background to um, our journey, if, if I may. Please go ahead. Um, so my daughter is 10 years old now, um, but she was diagnosed when she was about 13 months old. So she lost her hearing as a result of meningitis that she contracted um, when she was about four months old. Oh. So our journey with her disability started around 13, 14 months old. Mm. Um, yeah, so she was then, uh, we were referred to um, the Tigerberg Hospital for support in terms of a hearing loss and then also to a special needs school in the Tigerberg area. We'll closely work with um, the Tigerberg Hospital and that's where our journey started in terms of her education. Um, and she spent a few years, about four or five years at that school. And then we discovered that she has additional disabilities apart from her hearing loss. And that's when they made the decision to transfer her to a different school. Okay. What was the, diff- also, what was the, what was the disability? Um, so she has ADHD. She uh-huh. has apraxia. She has um, what they call auditory processing disorder. Okay. Um, and so combined with the hearing loss, it, mm. I'm sure you can imagine mm. it's, it's, it's quite, a, quite a challenge, quite a, quite a journey thus far for mm. us. Um, so the school that she was transferred to um, is also a school for children with hearing impairment, mm. but it's only a school for children with hearing impairment. Mm. So as far as her hearing loss is concerned, they're able to support her mm. um, on that. But as far as her additional disabilities are, it's a bit tricky. Sure. Isn't that interesting, Robin, because there is this perception that um, schools, special schools can manage everything. And and as as Janine said, you know, hearing disability and, for instance, autism are totally different disabilities. And so the idea that just because it's a special school, it can manage everything, it's, it's, you know, it's just not possible. Exactly. And, you know, special schools do have to specialize. So they do have areas of specialization. Because we, we talk about disability as though it's one thing, and mm. it's not. There are multiple different types of disabilities. They all affect and impact learning and children in different ways, at different degrees of severity. So, you know, you do get schools that are schools for learners who are deaf, schools for learners who are blind, who have autism, who have intellectual disability. And, you know, they provide a, a different type of support to those learners. So, yes, in Janine's case, you know, she's, she's had to transfer the school that her daughter is at now, want to transfer her to another school. Um, so it's, it's this constant journey of, uh, you know, you think you're settled in a school um, that other parents would take for granted. Well, this is where my child goes to school. But, but, you know, for parents of children with disabilities, it's then, you know, potentially not forever, and now I have to look somewhere else, and now she's got to make new friends, and now it could be in a totally different area. Mm. So it's, it's an ongoing journey and struggle.
It's, it's, a, it's a tough one. Thanks very much for that account, Janine. And really, we do sympathize with, with you. Um, Robin, you know, we've just focused on public schools, but it's not any better, even if you do have access to, you know, obviously you, you are in private schools and so on. The private education itself is not any better. Access to education for disability is also very, very difficult. There are just very few schools. And in the private school sector, uh, because it's private school, it's it's highly competitive. Mm-hmm. There's competition for, you know, to, to get children to attend your schools. They are businesses. So they tend to promote themselves as schools of academic excellence. So they want to have the top achieving results because that makes the school a sought after school. They can charge high fees and people attend. So there isn't um, much emphasis on including children with disabilities. Sometimes you see sort of smaller, independent little schools arise, and that often is out of a need from a parent, realizing there is no other place for my child, and I I know other parents who also have a need, and starting up much smaller little schools where they can at least provide some um, sort of, you know, more intensive intervention for children who aren't getting supported elsewhere. You know, I don't understand this, Robin. So we've just spoken about the fact that this is business. And so if it is business, you would assume that getting in more children will make you more money. And so again, I ask, what's the pushback about, especially because they've got money, about just changing the facilities and upgrading the facilities to include children with disability in their schools? And, you know, it is... You know, in the in the private schools themselves, they do also have very good resources. So yes. often you'll see in a private school they've got an occupational therapist yeah. and a play therapist and all of these that would actually benefit learners with disabilities. Often they have smaller classes, which again is a benefit. So a lot of times it's an attitude shift. People don't realize that actually including a child with disabilities is just about making a lot of small adjustments. It's not about having to make major adjustments. Mm -hmm. And I think as soon as people realize that, that it's just putting in small different strategies that actually benefit a lot of other children in your class anyway, that it's not such a difficult thing. So in your assessment, what actually is the problem? Attitude, I think, is a, is a, is a big problem. Um, attitude and understanding of benefits. We, we get a lot of um, sort of people myths around inclusive education. Oh, well, you know, if there's a child with a disability in my child's class, the teacher's going to put all their attention on the child with disability and my, my child will suffer. Huh. Or, um, you know, these, these types of things. But, but really where we've seen inclusion work, we see attitudes change. We see children who are supportive of each other. We see all children who learn well together. The social inclusion is so important. The idea of being able to go to school with your friends. You know, children are naturally curious about difference and about each other, but they also can be wonderful to help each other learn in peer support and peer learning. So, you know, really, I just think if people can change their attitudes around their preconceived ideas and really just be open to a more inclusive approach, we really, and schools to start seeing it as their obligation to include children from the community, we really could see major shifts happen. Janine, where are you now with your journey? Where are you guys? Are you at a school that supports you? You said it supports you with the hearing disability, but nothing else. What does that mean for you? Are you going to have to move your, your child? 
Janine? The school for children with a hearing impairment. So I'm so sorry, Janine. I'm going to ask you to repeat that because we didn't hear you. I really apologize for that. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you, is that better? I, I can hear you now. Please go ahead. Okay. So the school that she's in at the moment is a school for children with uh, a hearing impairment. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, she is being supported. Mm-hmm. Um, our problem is, though, that her other disabilities are not being supported. So um, because of the, the other challenges that she has, learning for her is quite difficult. So her progress is really slow compared to her peers in her class. And that seems to be a big challenge and problem um, for the teachers and the school because she's not on, her, on the level of her peers. And so there's a conversation that started last year where they um, wanted to um, take us to take her out of the school and move her to a different school. Um, hoping that they they would be better resourced um, to support her there, which is also the school um, for children with hearing loss. But I mean, I, I I don't know that that second school has the resources to support the additional disability. So it's really just moving from school to school to try and find a teacher or a principal or a school who's willing to put in the work to support her with her additional disabilities, apart from the hearing loss. Robin, is is this common that, you know, there would be children with multiple disabilities and schools would just not be able to deal with them, as you said earlier? So what does that mean for Jonine? What does that mean essentially for a child like that? So, so yes, there, there are a lot of children with complex or multiple disabilities. And so the role of a special school is that they should be able to, to put the support in place. They have the access to specialised resources. So I think what is very distressing for parents like Janine is the sense of if you're a special school and you can't accommodate my child, where do I go? There's nothing else. Mm-hmm. And so I really think we need to see our special schools as specialist places where learners with multiple disabilities can be accommodated. Children who have um, lower support needs shouldn't be in our special schools, they, n- they must be in our ordinary schools, so that children like Jonine's daughter can get support and that the school actually makes a plan, brings in other resources, does what needs to happen to accommodate those learners. Otherwise, they are the ones that fall through the cracks. I'm going to have to leave it there, Robin Baer, Deputy Director of Equal Education Law Centre, and thank you very much for all of you that have taken part. It's now 2 o'clock.